Okay, friends, I invite you to take your seats and to turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter. 2 Peter, a um, little rough morning technically, technical-wise there for me. And so um, uh, let, me, let me just focus on what I think uh, I'm a little bit better at and called to doing, and that is uh, teaching from God's Word. How about that? That's what we're here for really anyway, right? So let's turn to God's Word, 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 10. And uh, just as a disclaimer or a warning, I don't know. Um, uh, I've, been, I've been wanting to give this message for a while. I, I actually finished this message last week and a week ago. And I am really excited. But there's a lot here. So let's um, uh, invite you to kind of put on your thinking caps and if I'm going a little quick, please forgive me, but uh, I'm, we've got a lot of material and I've, uh, I'm really excited to dig into this study of God's word together. So 2 Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 and a half, because the paragraph break is in the middle of verse 10. So 10 and a half. Peter writes, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world, the world of the ungodly, and if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting, in, tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. This is the reading of God's word. And we say, thanks be to God. God, we, we've heard your word. And we pray now that even by your spirit, you would help us to see and understand to make the connections that Peter is making here and that we take to heart the strong warning that he gives. That's our simple prayer this morning. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So let us recap a little of where we have been. Most recently, we've looked at the reliability and the certainty of the revelation of God. We saw this at the end of chapter three. Excuse me, at the end of chapter 1, the third part of uh, chapter 1, 
We saw the salvation, the great gifts of, of Christ. We saw the great goal of the Christian life, which is growing in sanctification. And then lastly, we saw, uh, which was last week, we saw the importance of the, re- the reliability and the certainty of the revelation from God in Scripture. We saw this both in the, the Apostle Peter's eyewitness testimony to seeing Jesus' transformation on the mountain. But then we see it also in the God-breathed and God-inspired scriptures. And that's where he ends. He implores us to pay careful attention to the scriptures. Because the scriptures are indeed, as we saw last week, they're not just human doc- documents. They're sacred writings like Paul wrote to Timothy. They're not just communicating historical interest, but they are, 2 Timothy 3.15, able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And to pay attention to them. Paul goes on in 2 Timothy 3 to say the scriptures are breathed out by God. Peter said at the end, notice verse 20 of chapter 1, no prophecy of scripture comes from one from someone's own interpretation and he continues he says nor what is it ever produced by the will of man he says no men spoke from god as they were carried along by the holy spirit so we must pay very close attention because it is the word of god that leads us to the very next topic that he addresses here and that is the danger of false teachers that we just read about in chapter 2 Now, as a reminder, 1 Peter dealt with suffering from persecution from an unbelieving world that hated God and then hated them, right? So that was what 1 Peter was primarily about. 2 Peter deals with the false teachers. Get the clicker. False teachers in the church that lead Christians away. Get to figure out which one it is here. Okay. That lead Christians away from the faith and teaching what is false. So 1 Peter dealt with threats from outside the church. 2 Peter is dealing with threats from inside the church. And now he's getting to the primary issue. And that is the issue of false teachers. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today in the first half of this chapter. We're looking at the danger of false teachers now. We're going to look at the character and consequence of false teachers uh, next week, Lord willing. But here, let me show you an interesting fact. And you can see this in your handout if you received the handout. Um, Here's an interesting fact. Every single book in the New Testament, every single one except for two, Philemon and 1 Peter, every single one specifically warns about the danger of false teachers. Do you know that? Every single book. And here's the list. Matthew chapter 7, Mark 13, Luke 11. John 10, Acts 20, Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 11, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You could see the list all the way down. Every single book except for Philemon and 2 Peter. This is a, a serious issue to the church because it is the danger to the church from inside the church. So we're going to look at eight things about false teachers and false teaching um, in the next two hours. So here's number one. Just kidding. The determination of the false teachers. The determination of false teachers. Notice verse one. But as again, because 
Peter is just turning from just talking about how no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. This is a perennial problem for the people of God. False prophets. He's referencing here the false prophets arose among the people. He's talking about the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Now, the title, the, the word false prophet doesn't appear in the Old Testament, but it is clearly described. It is clearly characterized in a number of ways. And so here, let me read to you a couple of the passages that, that kind of just shed a light on what God thinks about the false prophets that have plagued the people of God throughout all of history, redemptive history. Deuteronomy chapter 18. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Or going back a few chapters, Deuteronomy chapter 13. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or of the wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Notice what just happened in those two verses, right? What's the proof that a, that a prophet is a true prophet? If he tells you something and it actually comes true, that's, that's good. Is that what he says? Not exactly what he says. If he tells you something and it doesn't come true... Then he's a false prophet. But then you add to this other verse and he goes, and if he tells you that something that's going to happen and it does happen, and then he tells you something that's contrary, now let's go and worship other gods. He's like, whoa, 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 time out. Even though you may have predicted something as being true, what you're saying, you're causing us to walk away and leave God. Okay. Notice what the criteria still is. It did, did the, did it actually come to pass? That if it didn't, they're a false prophet. If it did, it just goes to phase two. Is he teaching what's consistent with faithfulness to God? Okay. Notice here, Jeremiah 14. And the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them to speak, command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination and the deceit of their own minds. I imagine the Lord said it with a stronger tone than I am. Or this in Jeremiah chapter 23. I don't have a slide for this. It might be worth your time to turn to Jeremiah chapter 23. And as you're turning there, I'll start in verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. And then verses 25 through 32. I have heard 
what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who pro prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord, is not my word like fire, declares the word, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. Peter says, nothing's changed, people of God, under the new covenant. Nothing has changed. False prophets and false teachers are determined. He says right there, just as it happened in the Old Testament, it will happen among you. So that's the determination of the false prophets. Next, we look at the depravity of false teachers. The determination of false teachers. Now we look at the depravity of false teachers. And you see this in a couple of places in verse 2 and 3 and also in verse 10. Now, he's going to go in greater detail about the character of the prophets in uh, the second half of verse 10 all the way through 22. He's going to get into greater detail about their character. He's, here, he highlights just three parts. And so let me just give you the three that he addresses here. First of all, their, their sensuality. Notice uh, he says that in verse 2 and it also in verse 10. Those who indulge, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion. There's a, a latent or uh, undercurrent of seeking their own pleasure and satisfaction from what it, the false things that they teach. Their sensuality, their greed. Peter, uh, Paul warns about this in a couple of places. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. He says, hey, if anyone teaches a different doctrine or does not, that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and uh, the teaching that accords with godliness... He is puffed up with conceit. He understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words, which produce envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions, a constant friction among the people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So they would have false teachers that would work their way into churches and start to teach other things and would gain a crowd and gain some popularity and then would use that for their own greed. And then the third one is that a third trait that he addresses here is that there's a despisal of authority. When the false teachers would be confronted in the early church, they would fight back hard. They would reject the apostolic authority of the apostles, for instance, and would not receive correction or instruction. This is the depravity of the false teachers. 
And it may not be apparent right at the beginning, but at, over time, you would see the depravity manifest itself. He'll get into that next week, Lord willing, in the rest of chapter 2. But there's the determination of the false prophets plaguing the people of God throughout history, their depravity, and then notice in um, point 3, the deception of false teachers. Okay, Verse 1, secretly bringing in. Or verse 3, exploit you with false words. I, I, whenever I think of false prophets, I'm reminded of uh, an old Saturday Night Live sketch. And I have looked and I can't find it. I even tweeted Rob Schneider was one of the characters. I even tweeted him like, do you know this? Can I see this episode? But I remember this is from 1993. I was in college and it was uh, Charlton Heston was the guest that week, guest host that week. How many of you know this one? Steve, you know, okay. It was, so here's the sketch, okay? And just bear with me here. It was King Solomon Junior High Career Day. So it's King Solomon, you know, the biblical times and the setting is a classroom and there's all these junior high students and then you would have career day where people would come in and talk about their careers. And so they're all career set in biblical times. And so the villagers would show up and present their jobs and one was uh, a shepherd which Rob, Rob Schneider was the shepherd. There would be a town leper, <laughs> career day, town leper, uh, a centurion, and etc. There were a couple of others. But the last one was a false prophet named Menelaus. And this was done by Charlton Heston. Okay, Charlton Heston from the Ten Commandments. And so it really, really funny skit. I wish I could, I only remembering it from my memory. But he would, uh, he would talk about his job being a false prophet. And then he would make a, pronounce, a pronouncement of judgment on some person in the crowd and everybody would gasp and everybody would be terrified. And he goes, no, 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 no. I'm a false prophet. <laughs> don't, no, don't you understand? That's my career. I'm a false prophet. And what I'm telling you is not really true. And then he would go on and say something else. And he would say, God told me to say that. And he, no, no, he did. Yeah. And the, the, the funny part of this, I guess it was funnier to watch it, but the funny part of this is of course, it's absurd for the false prophet to let you know he's being false. That's what was so funny about it. The irony, false prophets don't admit that they're lying or deceiving or using deception. That's their stock and trade. That's what they do. And so caution about the deception. You need to think very clearly about the words, the empty words and deceitful words and exploitation that happens. I'm reminded again, I think a couple weeks ago I read from Machen's Christianity and Liberalism. He talks about uh, an issue very uh, likely, uh, very similar to this, about those who would go into churches and they would be undermining doctrine in churches by kind of twisting words or not using the words in the definitions that his hearers would be using them. And so he, he tells a, a story and he says this, and I'll give you the beginning here. In order to maintain themselves in evangelical churches and quiet the fears of their conservative associates, liberals resort constantly to a double use of language. He goes on to give a, a story about there's reports of a prominent preacher who uh, has some questionable beliefs. And then somebody in the church concerned uh, address comes to the preacher with his concern and the preacher gives this reassuring reply, you may tell everyone that I believe that Jesus is God. He goes on, he goes, uh, the, the inquirer then goes, okay, he, he's, uh, I'm, I'm impressed, I'm, I'm convinced. 
But Machen goes on and says this. It may well be doubted, however, whether the assertion, quote, I believe that Jesus is God or the like, on the lips of liberal preachers is strictly truthful. The liberal preacher attaches indeed a real meaning to the words, and that meaning is very dear to his heart. He really does believe that, quote, Jesus is God. But the trouble is, is that he attaches to those words a different meaning from that which is attached to them by the simple-minded person to whom he's speaking. And he knows he's doing this, by the way. He offends, therefore, against the fundamental principle of truthfulness in language. According to that fundamental principle, language is truthful not when the meaning attached to it by the words of the speaker, but when the meaning intended to be produced in the mind of a particular person addressed is in accordance with the facts. Thus, the truthfulness of the assertion, I believe that Jesus is God, depends upon the audience that is addressed. He goes on and he says... He condemns this form of speaking, this double use of language. And he says this, and in the, uh, in the case of these, he goes, not all the pious motives in the world will make the utterance right. Christian ethics do not abrogate common honesty. No possible desire of edifying the church or of avoiding offense can excuse a lie. This is what false teachers do. They deal in deception and they deal, their stock and trade is exploiting you with false and twisted words. That's number four. That's number three. Here's number four. The destructive results of false teachers. Notice it says destructive heresies. Verse one. Denying the master who bought them. Now, when you hear, you see that denying the master, it kind of sounds like an, an, uh, an overt confession, an outright declaration. But keeping in mind what we just said, no, often the denial happens in very subtle and secretive kind of ways. But it is, no matter how subtle or secretive, it's still a denial of who Jesus is. And what a betrayal it is. Look at how he describes it. A denial of the master who bought them. This is a term describing the purchasing of salvation by God and and the pricelessness of the price that was paid. Paul spoke to the Corinthians multiple times, reminding them, you were bought with a price. You were bought with a, a price. Christ redeemed you, bought you back. From the curse by becoming a curse. And what was that curse? Cursed is anyone who was hanged on a tree. Revelation says it this way. Chapter 5. And they sang a new song saying. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God. This is the blood shed by Christ himself. Or as Paul warned in Acts chapter 28. Where he warns the elders to pay attention to the flock, to care for the flock, the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And this echoes what Peter had said in the previous book in chapter one, knowing that you were ransomed from feudal ways by with the precious blood of Christ. 
So this destructive twisting of words and deception that are being used in order to, to deny Christ has huge destructive consequences. So much so that it says many will follow their sensuality. Reversion back to the life that they previously had turned from. And this one, the way of truth will be blasphemed. That's the destructive results of false teacher. Absolutely destructive to souls. Now here's the destiny of false teachers. And this is where Peter spends the most of his time. The destiny of false teachers is the divine retribution. They will be judged and destroyed by God. Notice what it says in verse 1. Bringing upon themselves swift swift destruction. And then in verse 3, he says, Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. It's, It's just waiting. And their destruction is not asleep. And this is the whole point. Of the destiny of the false teachers is the whole point of verses 4 through 8. And Peter uses three historical precedents here. This is very interesting what he does. So uh, here's three historical examples, three examples from Israel's history that that talk about the deserved punishment. And here's the first one. Fallen angels, verse 4. For if, and he's saying this, and it should be more like since, not if. um, But we'll go with the ESV here. For if... Because if suggests that maybe there's uncertainty. Uh, since is saying this is the consequence. Because that happened, this is the consequence. If angels did not, uh, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Okay? So here he makes the first reference of fallen angels. Now, where is this exactly? You know, is this a pre-creation fall uh, there's some interpreters say that. Is this referring to the Satan and his angels being cast down like in Revelation chapter 12? Um, without getting into too much detail, there's a connection here that the sons of God who came to the daughters of men in Genesis chapter 6 and the whole Nephilim. I think somebody had asked me that one time. What is the whole Nephilim thing? Again, I don't want to unpack that here. Um, but in Genesis chapter 6, there is Jewish writings that in first Enoch that allude to that as being the fallen angels. I think that's what Peter is referencing here. Um, Notice if you would turn to the right a little bit in Jude chapter six and seven, um, you could kind of maybe see a little bit of that here. Jude uh, chapter one Well, there's only one chapter and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. And then he goes on to say, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Let me just say here, I think that he's referencing that incident in Genesis 6. But either way, he's saying, if fallen angels will receive judgment, the point is, he won't spare false teachers either. Okay, here's the second one. The ungodly in the days of Noah, verse 5. For since he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Okay. Now, where is this reference? This is in Genesis, the rest of Genesis chapter six, verses nine, which is why I think the earlier reference to fallen angels 
uh, being the, the, the whole Nephilim issue at the beginning of chapter 6 kind of makes sense because he's kind of telling the stories in an order. Okay? Now, keep in mind, when we think back of the flood story, I know it's several chapters long, but it might be uh, helpful to remember a couple of the key features of that. It begins with this in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, which kind of serves as a link of the Nephilim thing. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great. Wickedness is great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So since God did not spare the ungodly in the days of Noah, he won't spare false teachers either. Notice the third example, the wicked of Sodom and Gomorrah. Go right on down. This is now jumping to Genesis 18. For if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Now, again, here's another verse to remind you of the gravity of the situation. Genesis 18, verse 20. The Lord saw that the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. Thus necessitating this catastrophe. And remember Abraham's negotiations when he when the angels come and they say, shall we hide from us this the issue about what we're going to do? And Abraham's negotiation, he goes, now, wait a second, God, you're not going to sweep away righteous people along with, with these wicked, right? What if there's 50 righteous people there? You're not going to sweep them away. The Lord says, if there's 50 righteous, no, I won't. Okay, what about 45? <laughs> I think it's really funny. Don't read the whole story. It's really kind of funny. What about 45? No, I won't do it for 45. What about 40? No, I won't do it for 40. What about 30? I won't do it for 30. He goes 20 to 10. What's the indication there? There's, there's not enough righteousness to save that city. And so if he rescued, and he rescues you Lot out of the middle of that, and notice that Peter points out that Lot's own soul was tormented because of the wickedness that's going, uh, that was going on in the world at that time. Here's the point. The Lord, in all three of these, the Lord will eventually bring false teachers to judgment. As a matter of fact, the point of verses 4 through 8 is this, that false teachers replicating the false prophets and continuing their, their pattern from the Old Testament, false teachers in the church are as bad as any and all the wicked described as a result of the fall. The false prophets are as bad as any of that wickedness pictured in Genesis. Now, here's an anticipated objections. Really, Pastor? Pastor A? A false teacher is as bad as a fallen angel? Yes. That's Peter's point. A false teacher today is as bad as uh, the world that ne necessitated a cataclysmic flood? Yeah. That, that's the point. Wait a second, you mean a popular false teacher today whose sermon clips are shared by the thousands by friends and family and co-workers are on Facebook are as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah? Yes, that's what Peter is saying. That's what he's saying. It is that bad and it is that serious. 
Their destruction is horrible. But take assurance in this. While they may be popular and growing now, it won't last. The Lord knows their destiny. And so he promises this. Number six, a deliverance from false teachers for the faithful. And this is building off of what he said in verse eight. The, this tormented soul uh, the, of the righteous, just of righteous lot looking and saying, this is horrible what's going on. And, and by the way, when you read verse eight, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was, his, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Do you sympathize with Lot today? Are you experiencing the same sort of torment in your soul? When you see the lawless deeds that are spreading all throughout our world, that you see and hear every day, there's a promise here for deliverance for those, for the faithful. And that's the pledge in verses 9 and 10. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. So remember Abraham's, Abraham's negotiations, five. That's the answer to that whole, that whole negotiation. I know how to rescue the godly from trials. But he also says this. I also know how to keep the righteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So deliverance for false teachers, last two, the discernment needed against false teachers. I think we're, you're seeing the, the importance that Peter is placing on here. The danger, this really is dangerous, false teachers in the church. And I, the discernment today is so important and so needed. Jesus himself said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. It's Matthew chapter 7. Or Paul says this in, um, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And this is coming right after Paul's description about the, the scriptures being breathed out by God and used for all of these things. And then in the very next couple of verses, he says, well, therefore, then preach the word. Preach it. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke. Reprove, rebuke, exhort and with complete patience and teaching. And then he says the reason why. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears. Will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Time is coming. The time is coming. He says, well, I don't know when it arrived, but it's here. So discernment is needed, brothers and sisters. And here's the last one. Distance yourself from false teachers. Distance yourself. Here's the two verses to to keep in mind. Uh, Romans chapter 16. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine or teaching that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord 
Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Avoid, avoid them. Or what John writes, his second letter, verses 9 and 10. Everyone who goes on ahead, which is, is very interesting. It, it's, in reading through first and second and third John in the Greek, it's very interesting. I got to this word and I was like, oh, progressive. It's the word progressive. It's somebody who's progressing beyond where, where Christ is. Oh, that's interesting. For anyone who goes on ahead and does not abide the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Friends, if you hear anyone make this, and I'll just kind of give one particular example of late, uh, who makes a prophecy, thus saith the Lord, and it isn't followed by a quotation from Scripture, run. Okay, don't walk, run. Don't give them your time, don't give them your attention, don't give them your money. Don't watch their YouTube videos and don't attend their conferences. I could think of a very recent example that happened not too long ago. And I saw a YouTube channel by, um, by someone named Justin Peters. And he, he actually compiled a list of the famous kind of charismatic Pentecostal prophets who were predicting the election, for instance. There's plenty others. And to hear the clips from them saying, thus says the Lord, this is going to happen. Thus says the Lord, this is who's going to win. Thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord. And I cringed. Have you seen these videos? They're out there. So listen carefully. Don't give them your time. Don't give them your attention. Don't give them money. Don't watch their YouTube videos and don't attend their conferences. Because this is how grave, the grave the issue of false teaching is in the church. The determination of the false teachers all throughout history, their depravity will be made known eventually. The deception of false teachers with their double use of language and twisting of words. And the destructive results of leading people away from the truth that is found only in Christ. But let's remember their destiny. Let's remember that the Lord delivers those who with discernment and wisdom will distance ourselves from them. Next we'll look Lord willing, at the character and consequence of their teaching. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we 
humbly express our gratitude to you for these words. We thank you that this warning by Peter to that church in that day is so relevant and applicable for us today. And so, God, I pray that you give us the strength, the courage, and the conviction to be aware of the teaching that is going on out around this world that seeks to lead people away from faithfulness to you. God, give us eyes to see. And God, give us the resolve to do what Peter said at the beginning, and that is to pay attention to your scripture and to your word so that we will be able to recognize the counterfeits that come. God, we pray that you guard and protect every one of your people from these destructive, deceptive, disastrous false teachers. We ask you, implore you to give protection to your church. And it is in Christ's mighty name that we pray and all God's people said, amen and amen. Friends, would you stand for our closing benediction? And if you have any questions, I'd love to to, uh, talk with you about them. Um, So just come on up uh, afterward, uh, or if you have some things that you would like to to pray for, um, I'd love to pray for you as well. So, uh, brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit be with all of us, all of you, as we go. Thank you.